Book One, Chapters Five and Six of Joseph Andrews. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. Joseph Andrews by Henry Fielding. Book One, Chapter Five. The death of Sir Thomas Booby, with the affectionate and mournful behavior of his widow, and the great purity of Joseph Andrews. At this time an accident happened which put a stop to those agreeable walks, which probably would have soon puffed up the cheeks of fame, and caused her to blow her brazen trumpet through the town, and this was no other than the death of Sir Thomas Booby, who, departing this life, left his disconsolate lady confined to her house, as closely as if she herself had been attacked by some violent disease during the first six days. The poor lady admitted none but Mrs. Slipslop and three female friends who made a party at cards. But on the seventh she ordered Joey, whom for a good reason we shall hereafter call Joseph to bring up her tea-kettle, the lady being in bed, called Joseph to her, bade him sit down, and accidentally having laid her hand on his, she asked him if he had ever been in love. Joseph answered, with some confusion, it was time enough for one so young as himself to think on such things. As young as you are, replied the lady, I am convinced you are no stranger to that passion. Come, Joey, says she, tell me, truly, who is the happy girl whose eyes have made a conquest of you? Joseph returned that all the women he had ever seen were equally indifferent to him. Oh! then said the lady you are a general lover indeed you handsome fellows like handsome women are very long and <laughs> difficult in fixing but yet you shall never persuade me that your heart is so insusceptible of affection i rather impute what you say to your secrecy a very commendable quality and what i am far from being angry with you for nothing can be more unworthy in a young man than to betray any intimacies with the ladies ladies madam said joseph I am sure I never had the impudence to think of any that deserve that name. <laughs> Don't pretend to too much modesty, said she, for that sometimes may be impertinent, but 
pray, answer me this question. Hmm. Suppose a lady should happen to like you. Suppose she should prefer you to all your sex, and admit you to the same familiarities as you might have hoped for if you had been born her equal. Are you certain that no vanity could tempt you to discover her? Answer me honestly, Joseph. Have you so much more sense and so much more virtue than you handsome young fellows generally have, who make no scruple of sacrificing our dear reputation to your pride, without considering the great obligation we lay on you by our condescension and confidence? Can you keep a secret, my Joey? Madam, says he, I hope your ladyship can't tax me with ever betraying the secrets of the family, and I hope if you was to turn me away, I might have that character of you. I don't intend to turn you away, Joey, said she, and sighed. I am afraid it is not in my power. She then raised herself a little in her bed, and discovered one of the whitest necks that ever was seen, at which Joseph blushed. La, says she, in an affected surprise, what am I doing? I have trusted myself with a man, alone, naked in bed. Suppose you should have any wicked intentions upon my honour. How should I defend myself? Joseph protested that he never had the least evil design against her. No, says she. Perhaps you may not call your designs wicked. <laughs> Perhaps they are not so. He swore they were not. You misunderstand me, says she. I mean, if they were against my honor, they may not be wicked, but the world calls them so. But then, say you, the world will never know anything of the matter. Yet would that not be trusting to your secrecy? Must not my reputation be, then, in your power? Would you not, then, be my master? Joseph begged her ladyship to be comforted, for that he would never imagine the least wicked thing against her, and that he had rather die a thousand deaths than give her any reason to suspect him. Yes, said she, I must have reason to suspect you. Are you not a man? And without vanity I may pretend to some charms. 
but perhaps you may fear I should prosecute you, and indeed I hope you do, and yet heaven knows I should never have the confidence to appear before a court of justice, and you know, Joey, I am of a forgiving temper. Now tell me, Joey, don't you think I should forgive you? Indeed, madam, says Joseph, I will never do anything to disoblige your ladyship. How, says she, do you think it would not disoblige me, then? Do you think I would willingly suffer you? I don't understand you, madam, says Joseph. Don't you, said she, then you are either a fool or pretend to be so. I find I was mistaken in you, so get you downstairs and never let me see your face again. Your pretended innocence cannot impose on me. Madam, said Joseph, I would not have your ladyship think any evil of me. I have always endeavoured to be a dutiful servant, both to you and my master. Oh, thou villain, answered my lady, why didst thou mention the name of that dear man? Unless to torment me, to bring his precious memory to my mind. And then she burst into a fit of tears. Oh, oh, get thee from my sight. I shall never endure thee more. At which words she turned away from him. And Joseph retreated from the room in a most disconsolate condition. And writ that letter which the reader will find in the next chapter. Book One, Chapter Six How Joseph Andrews writ a letter to his sister Pamela, to Mrs. Pamela Andrews, living with Squire Booby. Dear sister, since I received your letter of your good lady's death, we have had a misfortune of the same kind in our family. My worthy master, Sir Thomas, died about four days ago, and, what is worse, my poor lady is certainly gone distracted. None of the servants expected her to take it so to heart, because they quarrelled almost every day of their lives. But no more of that, because, you know, Pamela, I never loved to tell the secrets of my master's family. But, to be sure, you must have known they never loved one another, and I have heard her ladyship wish his honour dead above a thousand times. But nobody knows what it is to lose a friend till they have lost him. Don't tell anybody what I write, because I should not care to have folks say I discover what passes in our family. But if it had not been so great a lady, I should have thought that she had had a mind to me. Dear Pamela, don't tell anybody, 
but she ordered me to sit down by her bedside when she was in naked bed and she held my hand and talked exactly as a lady does to her sweetheart in a stage play which i have seen in covent garden while she wanted him to be no better than he should be if madam be mad i shall not care for staying long in the family so i heartily wish you could get me a place either at the squire's or some other neighbouring gentleman's unless it be true that you are going to be married to parson williams as folks talk and then i should be very willing to be his clerk for which you know i am qualified being able to read and to set a psalm i fancy i shall be discharged very soon and the moment i am unless i hear from you i shall return to my old master's country seat if it be only to see parson adams who is the best man in the world london is a bad place and there is so little good fellowship that the next-door neighbours don't know one another pray give my service to all friends that inquire for me so i rest your loving brother joseph andrews as soon as joseph had sealed and directed this letter he walked downstairs where he met mrs slipslop with whom we shall take this opportunity to bring the reader a little better acquainted she was a maiden gentlewoman of about forty-five years of age who having made a small slip in her youth had continued a good maid ever since she was not at this time remarkably handsome being very short and rather too corpulent in body and somewhat red with the addition of pimples in the face her nose was likewise rather too large and her eyes too little nor did she resemble a cow so much in her breath as in two brown globes which she carried before her one of her legs was also a little shorter than the other which occasioned her to limp as she walked this fair creature had long cast the eyes of affection on joseph in which she had not met with quite so good success as she probably wished though besides the allurements of her native charms she had given him tea sweetmeats wine and many other delicacies of which by keeping the keys she had the absolute command joseph however had not returned the least gratitude to all these favours not even so much as a kiss though i would not insinuate she was so easily to be satisfied for surely then he would have been highly blamable the truth is she was arrived at an age when she thought she might indulge herself in any liberties with a man without the danger of bringing a third person into the world to betray them she imagined that by so long a self-denial she had not only made amends for the small slip of her youth above hinted at but had likewise laid up a quantity of merit to excuse any future failings in a word 
she resolved to give a loose to her amorous inclinations, and to pay off the debt of pleasure which she found she owed herself as fast as possible. With these charms of person, and in this disposition of mind, she encountered poor Joseph at the bottom of the stairs, and asked him if he would drink a glass of something good this morning. Joseph, whose spirits were not a little cast down, very readily and thankfully accepted the offer, and together they went into a closet, where, having delivered him a full glass of ratafia, and desired him to sit down, Mrs. Slipslop thus began. Sure, nothing can be a more simple contract in a woman than to place her affections on a boy. If I had ever thought it would have been my fate, I should have wished to die a thousand deaths, rather than live to see that day. If we like a man, the lightest hint sophisticates, whereas a boy proposes upon us to break through all the regulations of modesty before we can make any oppression upon him. Joseph, who did not understand a word, she said, answered, Yes, madam. Yes, madam, replied Mrs. Slipslop with some warmth. Do you intend to result my passion? Is it not enough, ungrateful as you are, to make no return to all the favors I have done you, but you must treat me with ironing? Barbarous monster, how have I deserved that my passion should be resulted and treated with ironing? Madam, answered Joseph, I don't understand your hard words, but I am certain you have no occasion to call me ungrateful, for, so far from intending you any wrong, I have always loved you as well as if you had been my own mother. How, sirrah? says Mrs. Slipslop, in a rage. Your own mother! Do you assinuate that I am old enough to be your mother? I don't know what a stripling may think, but I believe a man would refer me to any green sickness silly girl whatsomdever. But I ought to despise you rather than be angry with you, for referring the conversation of girls to that of a woman of sense. Madam, says Joseph, I am sure I have always valued the honour you did me by your conversation, for I know you are a woman of learning. Yes, but Joseph, said she, a little softened by the compliment to her learning, if you had a value for me, you certainly would have found some method of showing it me, for I am convicted you must see the value I have for you. Yes, Joseph, my eyes, whether I would or no, must have declared a passion I cannot conquer. Oh, Joseph, as when a hungry tigress, who long has traversed the woods in a fruitless search, sees within the reach of her claws, a lamb she prepares to leap on her prey, or, as a voracious pike of immense size, surveys through the liquid element 
a roach or gudgeon which cannot escape her jaws opens them wide to swallow the little fish so did mrs slipslop prepare to lay her violent amorous hands on the poor joseph when luckily her mistress's bell rung and delivered the intended martyr from her clutches she was obliged to leave him abruptly and to defer the execution of her purpose till some other time we shall therefore return to the lady booby and give our reader some account of her behaviour after she was left by joseph in a temper of mind not greatly different from that of the inflamed slipslop end of book 1 chapters 5 and 6 read by dennis sayers in modesto california for librivox